Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for episode two of our podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about our portfolio course, AI taking over and scaling relationships and way much more. Please, I don't know. See? Yeah, <laughs> we're keeping that one in now. Thanks everyone for listening, and uh, let's get to the pod. <laughs> well, cool episode two. Let's do this. <laughs> we made it. Well, we made it past the first one, so I think I think we're okay for the second and third one. <laughs> so when do we make money? Yeah, no, that's not gonna happen yet. We're still doing this for fun. Okay, yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, it went well, and I think I think last time we had fun with the first episode. I think you know. It was a dry run. We tried a bunch of stuff. I think we got some good content out of it. We've learned a ton too, because the best way to learn, I always think, is by doing it. And that's what we're doing. And, and that's the thing. And like, there's a couple of things, obviously, we started off talking about, or we ended off, I should say, you know, talking high level about portfolios and things like that. And one thought I had was, we talk a lot about case studies in these portfolios, right? And I think they're super important. I wanted to see what are like, what do you like to see when you look at a case study? What is like, wow, right? Because I know we're going to have a different approach on this. I know it. But what is it that is for you? What's your wow? Like, what are you looking for? What are the things that stand out? Because, we, you know, in, in the course, we talk about it, like storytelling, having like the, the wow factors in it. The, the numbers and like the facts and, and things like that. But I want to know, like, what do you like to see in all those? Okay, well, let me say that I, let me say a little story, actually. When I was in college, I had a professor, Professor Burrell, who I think became a director or something of like one of the people in, tr- in charge of the, the art program. And he was beyond brilliant. And he had these amazing jaw-dropping lectures after, like, like the last five minutes of class was like, you left with your mouth on the floor. Like, you had to drag it out of the room. And they were amazing. And this really made you think. And we're all just like, wow. Like, how lucky we are to have such a profound professor that's like, like he'll, he'll stay three, four hours after class. By the way, it ends at like eight o'clock at night. And he'll stay with you just to talk to you and make sure you understand the concept, whatever. He's, he, he took us, on a walk to my friend and I on a walk around the campus at night, which is kind of creepy. Cause like it's, it's like in the middle of the forest. Cause like it was like a forest in the middle of the, the campus. And he said two amazing things. I'm going to tell you one of those things now, then another time when I get reminded about the next story, I'll tell you about that one. It's a really special one. And it kind of changed my outlook on ideas and creativity. But one of them, he said, you know, a lot of artwork is like, very impactful when you first see it, but then it fades away and you never think about it again. And what he expects from most artwork is for you to go, wow, huh. And then you forget about it. But when you see a piece of artwork and it makes you go, hmm, wow. That's a completely different reaction, completely different feeling. And that sensation stays with you longer. Mm-hmm. And you remember that piece forever, right? I guess artwork that reminds me of that would be like, oh, who's the guy who makes his giant, beautiful metal sculptures? Uh, not sculptures, but I guess they are sculptures, but they're giant walls of metal. You know what I'm talking about? Richard Serra makes these amazing pieces where you walk in there and you're just like, what is that? Is it a piece of artwork? Like, 
it's just a wall of, of metal. And then you walk through it and you walk around, and you're like, wow, I am so inferior to this giant thing. This thing is bigger than me. I, myself, I'm going to reflect on the size of this, the size of me, and then my placement of myself in the world. Mm. That's like a very special feeling that very few artists can actually instill in somebody. Richard Serra is one of those people. Also, the, there's just so many more things about his artwork that I just fall in love with. And I would love to own one in my house, but there's nowhere I can put it. It's just the size of the house. But, you know, that's what I want to see in a portfolio. I want to see someone make me go, hmm, wow, right? Like, you do want to have a really strong impact when they first come on. Like, wow, okay, awesome, cool. But, like, I want to, like, see it, and then I want to fall in love with it. I don't want to go, oh, I'm infatuated, and then I'm on to the next thing that I'm infatuated with. So that'd be the first thing I'd say. I, I, I would want to see a portfolio. I know it's kind of abstract, quite literally they're talking about abstract art, but. No, it's, yeah, it, it, it's fun because it's, it's actually similar to what I was going to say, which I thought you were going to say something totally different. So it kind of, <laughs> like, Wait, me. wait, wait, what did you think I was going to say? I, I thought you were going to go deeper in the content first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like, knowing you, I thought that's what you were going to go for first. And, you know, yeah. we all make assumptions in life, right? <laughs> and we always have, it's like what we always learn <laughs> with design thinking is you got to remove all the assumptions of everything. No, well, no, I, I think that assumptions are good because they help you predict the future. They help you make decisions so you can get somewhere of course, else, right? Of so course. I think that, that it's totally a valid thing to assume what I was going to say, but you're wrong, just for the record. Damn but but, <laughs> but, but for to real, me- though, if I was to talk about the content, though, something that we, we are doing now and when we're restructuring this, this course, we're redoing the framework. Mm-hmm. And we've simplified it. Actually, people have already liked that tweet that I put out Yep. About simplifying it. And I think yep. like, well, I don't know how many people liked it, but a trillion liked it. Just, just of saying, you know. we're just saying we're projecting the future. Yeah. <laughs> Manifest it. But we, we, we had four principles before. And one of the principles that we're having now that's been transcended from the previous four into yep. the next three, the, the three that we have now, the three that we have now are presentation, storytelling, and personality. And I think it's a really great, succinct amount of things that can be remembered and also make the very core essence of a portfolio. So, and I think uh, you know, pause, yeah. I, what I like about it is that it everybody can make it their own. Yeah, you know, it's you grab the piece that we're giving you, but you make it your own story out of it instead of what we're constantly seeing is doing the checkbox thing that. Yep. A lot of people are learning as they're doing the checkbox thing in it. All portfolios look the same. They all sound the same. They all have the same tone of voice. But like, I think at least with the framework we're providing is we're providing you a framework for you to build your own tone of voice, your own hook or like what's your hook and what's your. So I think it's a more streamlined approach to it where it's still a process, but it's not, I'm, I'm sure like if five people follow the same thing, our, like the process we're putting together. They won't all look alike. They won't all sound alike. You're all going to have their own experience out of it. And I think that's an important piece that we wanted to get throughout this course. Yeah. I think that in this next round, we're going to teach them, we're going to have to teach them how to write a proper story. Because mm-hmm. we, we said stuff like, you know, change, change the typography, you know, change the grid, like the basics of like what you see. But then when we, finished the course i think you and i both agreed that like 
you can't get everyone to the same visual standards that we have today. No. Like, there's just, there's no way. They would take them years to get to that point just because they don't have any of the skills. Not all of them. Some, some of them have the skills, but many of them don't have the, the skills of visual stuff. And yet they're trying to be designers. Mm-hmm. And there's a variety of types of designers they're trying to be. So instead of trying to force them all to become and, and, and showcase that extremely high standard of visual design, which you and I both share, I think we'll be shifting gears a little more towards storytelling and how to actually write, like you said before, the, the hook and like the actual content and how to explain your metrics, how to explain your impact, because that's what people are going to read from their portfolios because they're at the stage of where people are going to actually have to read through that kind of stuff. I know that when I applied to IBM and other companies before where we're at now, you know, it it was a little more in depth in how they kind of went through the portfolio because when you're at a certain level, when you're a very senior person, from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm, I would love to hear your opinion on this, when you're more of a senior designer or senior business person or whatever, you kind of can show off, like you can name drop a couple of things. And then after you name drop a couple of things, there's just a, almost like a culture chat. It's, you know, you can present your work, but like you're not going to go into the nitty gritty of like, how did you come up with this icon's curvature, right? That's like for a, a more low level, hands on tactical designer. Not that low level means bad, but like low level means beginner earlier in career. Because as you go higher and up the ladder, you know, you touch less and less of the the artwork or the artifacts. You 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 more so kind of manage people or lead people to kind of make decisions for themselves. So at this point, I think it'll be really good for us to work on that kind of storytelling aspect and how to frame their projects and their own story in their portfolio, how to write a better about me page, how to, you know, get this call to actions going for people to kind of reach out more and and be more enticed to kind of want to reach out. I think that those are the things that will be transitioning a little bit more of a focus on in this next round instead of the visual style. I think that that's, we still need to include that in like the final online version of it. But I think we need to shift a lot more towards the stuff that we didn't get to as much. I agree. It's a continuous learning moment and a continuous learning opportunity. And I think like a lot of stuff we do or we're going to do is based off our experience, what we've learned in the industry, how we were, how from our mentors we learned and we adapted and we think, but the same thing through the courses or like the portfolio or all the other ones we're working on right now, it's going to be, we're putting it out there, we're getting feedback. And it's like that continuous loop that's going to continue to evolve until we have like the perfect, what we consider the perfect framework. And I think, I, I would say we're getting close. The portfolio, honestly, like in all honesty, I think we're getting to a place where we've kind of, you know, everybody's not that, I don't want to, downplay anybody but like everybody's doing an awesome job i think we're just i think we've just took the like the portfolio framework that a lot of the people are playing with right now and i think kind of upped it up a bit i think we kind of changed it and we made it easier for people to create their perspectives and i think i i keep coming back to that because i fucking hate seeing portfolios all look alike to me it's like it's so annoying it's like they're like what What's you? Like everybody, even when we all have like, you talk about design, we all have a signature. We all designed a certain way, just like the artists who were naming before. Even like that, all the 
paintings when we go in an art gallery when it has like three lines you know that like the simple line drawing and it's like yeah everybody could have done that but i'm sure like if you and i and that artist would do that same thing we wouldn't achieve the same aesthetic behind it we're not telling the same most i mean everybody has their signature just like an artist has and i think it's important to follow these things you know i think that's that's going to become less and less relevant over time i do I think that over the weekend, I was playing with a, a stable diffusion model that allows you to kind of replicate somebody else's artwork from whatever story you kind of are telling oh, them your work. I see where you're going with this, with and this I, AI stuff. I was beyond, I was beyond impressed. And I'm not somebody who is really swayed as much as yeah. others on a lot of AI stuff, because I think that you and I have the most realistic perspective of some of the people we follow, because like we, we, we know the capabilities of a lot of stuff, but then these things started coming out and I'm like, oh, wait, I don't, I don't, I really don't think we do know the, the capabilities yet because GPT-4 is, probably, is about to come out soon. Mm-hmm. GPT-4 is going to blow away every single model that is competing with it today. I think it said like, like a, like a, like a trillion parameters or something like 50 trillion. I don't know what the number was, mm-hmm. but it's enormously large. I don't know if it's like bias or anything, but you know, it's going to be able to produce quality. I think that's what they're aiming for. And we'll see what happens. But I I don't think we really understand the impact yet of how this stuff's going to change every single decision. Not just the, the things that we interact with, but the decisions that we will start making will be completely different. Because now there's a trillion different options to choose from instead of the 50 that you can come up with in an hour. And now it's about curation. Now it's about, you know, whittling down the right answer from all the possible answers. So my point about the kind of like the style, we let's talk about this. What would be a great wow factor? Like, how do you create a wow factor in your portfolio? I, you know, we, we talked about the feeling you get about a wow factor. What is the thing that makes you like have that wow factor? Because now that like beautiful, maybe it's like a, you know, if you're doing a painting, you have like illustration artwork then like, you know, your your styling of how you handle the brush and your brush strokes and the colors you use and the grid and layout, whatever, and the composition, you know, those were things that were unique to you. But they're no longer going to be unique to you because anyone is going to be able to copy you. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think though, it's like, even if you and I like take a design system as an example and, and design the same, like the same page with the design system, we're not going to design it the same way. Like, I think there's, there's, there's always ways that we're going to have our essence come into play. I mean, I know AI is going to come, like, create beautiful things and so on. But like, going back to like my original question to you, like I had a similar approach is I like seeing something that's like, I'm, I'm a visual story person. I like seeing things like visually appealing. And when I look at stuff, and then I, I know how they made it and why they made it this way. That's when I'm like, oh, that's nice. I never thought of it this way. It's not just that it looks nice because when it looks nice, like, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, I get it. But when it's like, it's like the movie Ocean's Eleven, you go through the movie and then they show you everything at the end. You're like, whoa, I never thought of that. Like, I like having like that aha moment that you were talking about. That it's kind of, you know, like you get that wow, the more you kind of get into either knowing the person, the process and whatnot. So like it, it's a similar approach to 
what you were saying. I just described it in a more less interesting way than you did. <laughs> well, I, I want to tag on to what you said, actually. My friend Afarza, he, one of the founders, I believe, of this thing called Build Space, which is like this online academy, essentially what we're doing, but for Web3 developers. Yep. So they're building a, a, a catalog of courses that Web3 developers can take to build DAOs, their own tokens, or their own models, AI. So it's kind of like a blend of Web3 and AI stuff, actually. And they just got $10 million in funding. So go Farza and team. But Farza said this really amazing thing because... I think out of everyone I know, he's one of the smartest people that I know. And it's not because he, he knows everything in the world. He's just able to digest information and come up with a very unique answer and then actually act on it. Like very few people act on the things that they say and they go, yeah, this is a theory. Here you go. Throw out to the Twitter universe. He actually goes and acts on it. So he said recently, it's crazy to me when people don't pursue a good idea they had because it already exists when they Googled it. Homie, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a unique idea. It's your execution that's unique and co that causes your version of the idea to feel different from others. And yeah. I think it's very true. And that's exactly what you're saying, right? Like, you know, you have your own process. I have my own process. You know, our process probably is more similar than other people's, but we do things slightly differently that makes yeah. it us, right? Yeah. So I agree. And I think it, it like, it's funny because it, like now I'm going to bounce off what you just said. It yeah. almo it's almost like, you know, I remember the, the like a couple of years ago when people were getting pissed because people were kind of copying another person's design. And then there was like the, the copycat yeah. designer was like in black and he showed like this idea came from this. And at the end of the day, there's never an original idea almost because no, even if you think you created it originally, you saw something at one point. It's in the back of your head and you're injecting it back into something like, I mean, we're constantly bombarded with a ton of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's always like, figure like you quote me if my quote's wrong but was it picasso's like steal like an artist or something yeah yeah, yeah. And, and to me that's the real thing like if yeah if you look like beats by dre the logo is a symbol from like the symbol book from way back then everything is like airbnb is the same thing they're all like, everything's a copy well, of something I, I wonder though because there I, I don't know if it's Hemingway or another art another uh, poet or, or author i think they said something along the lines of you're you're a great author when you don't have to imitate reality in your, in your uh, books or whatever. Like the, the essence of it was kind of like this person was coming up with the ideas from their own head and they weren't actually basing it off of any action or thing or person or experience that they had in the world. They just came up with it. And I wonder how true that actually can be because you can't come, you can't think unless you experience, in my opinion. You can't actually come up with something because otherwise you're narrowed focus to like just your like worldview. And if your worldview doesn't have that thing that comes into it that inspires you, then you're not going to actually be able to think of that thing because you never even had the notion that it even existed, right? Like okay. it's like, it's that, it's that like theory. If like the rock is there and you trip over it, like if it wasn't there, you know, and didn't trip over it, was it ever there or something like that? Like, you know what I mean? And Okay. So then what if back then, they had more opportunities to come up with original thoughts because they weren't bombarded by the internet or the mobile mm -hmm. phone. Like right now, it's fucking hard right now. You can come up with something in a sense that you're going to be influenced by something and you create it. But yeah. having like an original thought, original, yeah. I feel like right now, it's harder. And I don't know, like if we go back to Hemingway or all of these people, was it because they had time to think? They had time to 
test out ideas by themselves without being influenced necessarily by what's like happening in Europe or in, in whatever. So I don't know. Maybe it's a thought. I'm not from that era. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not. You know, I can't complain. So I want to switch gears a little bit to to be a little bit more actionable for the listeners. So two things. Number one, how do you create that wow factor? And number two, how do you write a great story for your portfolio? <laughs> I think. Let's, let's, let's start with the wow factor. I want, I want to talk about that because I have some ideas about it, but I want to hear your thoughts on that. The wow factor is hard, I find, in a sense, to dis- I don't know, like to describe. I'm one that ha- has to obviously think sometimes and, and write it out to create well, that wow. What is a wow factor? Like, is it, it doesn't have to be like the written words. It can be like a, 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 an introduction to the portfolio, like some sort of motion piece or like some like really great, headline or you know even like a micro interaction or like so wow it could be so many things like i like somebody's that's gonna like i like even when they just play with type like a big nice typography that nobody would typically use and that like and i'm like wow they played this off really nicely somebody that like if we're just talking about like that intro page somebody that has like a unique twist to it that's not following what everybody's doing, like a big white space, a big topography, and they're like <laughs> super simple. Something that's a bit unique. To me, that's like, it's going to draw me in a bit more. Mm. As the other ones, I'm not saying they're not nice. They're super nice. But I'm not going to pay attention as much because they just look like all the other ones. So like that wow is going to be like an offset grid, typography work. But that caters to a visual designer-ish more than somebody that's like pure UX architecture or whatnot. So I don't want to sway too much too much one way and not the other way it, like it could also yeah. be the way the hook is written at the top it could be as simple as like the hook right and a ux architecture would probably describe it differently you know than i would in a visual storytelling capability so i think it's about but it's almost as like what's the hook it could be a visual moment or it could be a typography moment or it could be something the way it's written i think it's about like the hook what kind of you know, when you're looking at something, you, you kind of glance and you stop and you go back and look at it. Is that a good takeaway? I don't know. Maybe I blatted out a bunch of stuff <laughs> with no real actionable item. But to me, it's like that's what I kind of like to see is that hook. Because that, what's that differentiator moment that I'm going to see? And that's like, wow, that caught my eye. I want to know more. Yeah, I would agree with all that. There's... uh a lot of things that you can do, a lot of tools at your disposal to create that wow factor, but you have to figure out what is unique to you because if you create something, you don't want it to be generic that anyone else can just apply it. You want it to have something to do with your portfolio, your pieces in your portfolio, yeah. and also you as a person. So if you're going to choose something that's a wow factor, make sure it relates to you. It's not just something that anyone else can replicate and pull off because then anyone can have your portfolio. And that's the, one of the things that you and I are trying to, to help people solve is create more unique portfolios, not something that can be replaced by somebody else's name and say, oh, they took it over because it's, it's their portfolio too. Like anyone can just take your portfolio, put their name on it, and then all of a sudden it's theirs because yours is not generic, is not unique to you. It's too generic. So we want to make sure that it's, it is somewhat unique to you. And I think that thread of finding that thing that makes it a wow factor to you, because it's like if I had a wow factor about me, but then you took it, Pascal, is it going to fit in your portfolio? If it doesn't, and if it's really well mine, that's even better, right? That's an even better wow factor because then no one can copy it. It'll last longer and then it's more memorable. So that's kind of 
what I would say you would need in, in, a, in a wow factor. Could you, could you, what do you think? Okay. So sure. do you think, let's say I could be influenced by your wow factor mm-hmm. applied to my wow factor, but like take like what, let's say hypothetically, there's a wow factor moment you have. I get inspired by it, but I've made my own twist to it. So still like an artist like Picasso. Yeah. I would say, yeah. I mean, you can totally, I think that that's a sign of flattery, right? Like the stealing it from someone else who's done it really well. If you can take it and, and make it better, then I would be impressed and flattered. If you take yeah. it and you just copy verbatim, pixel by pixel, color, color, you know, hex value, the same words, exact same typeface, I'm going to be like, you're just a sad designer because you can't come up with anything yourself. Now, that might be what everyone sees when people are creating this just like black text on a white background, big black text and white background, then like your 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 portfolio images are just like one after the other vertically. You know, mm-hmm. that's very boring. Sometimes it works. Sometimes you can make sweet, sweet little details that, that kind of showcase you more than somebody else, even though it's the same kind of layout, the same kind of format. Like, that's fine. Like, I'm not saying don't take that format or that, that composition, mm-hmm. but find the way that makes it your own. Yeah. Uh, and don't just verbatim copy somebody else's stuff because it looks really nice for them because it probably won't even look nice for you. Again, agree. it's like it's like wearing the pants, right? If your portfolio was a pair of pants, would you wear it? And does it fit? And if it doesn't fit and you wouldn't wear it, then you probably shouldn't take it. <laughs> I never thought of a portfolio as a pair of pants, but it's okay. I had to come up with something that like just was memorable and like people could like walk away with like, oh I yeah, know, here's like, know, this little framework. Going back to what okay. you're saying, like the, uh, that moment, how can somebody come up with their hook? Like what is, I know we're talking about it in a portfolio, but let's, you know, let's briefly talk about as, you know, a a takeaway moment is how can you take something, create your hook so that you create your personality into it? Yeah. I was actually just about to transition to that. I'm like, all right. So now we talk about the wow fact. Let's talk about the storytelling. (laughs) You're right, right in the nose there. Yeah. So I would say to create a great hook. I'm not a writer. I don't know exactly how to write. I'm still trying to figure this out with you. Like, how do you actually write a great story? I think that a hook is obviously part of the beginning. Yes. And in the in this in the presentation we came up with before, the first cohort, and that will also follow in the second cohort, we have to teach the Aristotle format of storytelling. So like you have a beginning, a middle, and end. The beginning, there's a thing that comes before the beginning, and it's always followed by a middle. That's what the format really is. And so in the beginning, when there was nothing there, you have to come up with something that was there. And for someone listening, reading your portfolio, you know, watching a video, whatever it is, you have to introduce them to the content quickly, succinctly, so that they get an idea of what it is and want to be interested to read more. Because mm-hmm. no one's going to want to go to the, the middle and the end Unless the interest, the, uh, the the beginning is interesting, right? It's, it's almost come. like the you know, like a book when yeah. you're kind of reading the cover, you're like, oh, that's interesting. You read the back of it, and like, oh, I want to read more. So it's yeah. almost it, it's it's a bad analogy, but I mean, it's it's no, it's good. Paint a, pic, a paint a picture of it. It's it's almost that. Like I, you need to kind of draw me in from that hook so that I can I want to keep going. It, you know, 
I, I love it when people say, don't judge a book by its cover. And yet that's the point of a cover, like to it be is. judged. Like that's it the is. whole point of it. And yeah. the reason for that is because you don't want to read the whole thing to figure out you didn't like it, right? Mm -hmm. You need to figure out from the look of the cover if it's something that's enticing for you to want to read. So yeah, I mean, covers matter, right? Your portfolio presentation, that's one of the pieces of the framework, right? The presentation matters. Details matter. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, if you're going to be creating a book, you have to have an awesome cover. Maybe that means having a really yeah. great a binding kind of hard cover material or soft cover, yeah. whatever it might be, but make sure that it feels good in the hand. Maybe it's easy to kind of fold the book flat so that someone who's reading it on a table can read it. You know, maybe it's because if you fold it all the way around, it actually folds without breaking, right? And there's all these things you can do to make it feel great, especially for a book. Now for a portfolio, you're not trying to write a book, right? We're not trying to have them write an encyclopedia about their life. We're trying to get them through ABC real quick of each of their projects and to get to the middle and the, in the, in the end again, we have to finish off the, the beginning, but the beginning, you have to entice somebody to want to continue reading. So having a catchy headline or like something of interest that's shocking typically does mm -hmm. ask people to kind of want to read it more. Don't be cheesy with it, right? Like don't, don't, first of all, don't choose titles that are I would say, like I said, cheesy, but also like the whole, like, you know, when you go on YouTube and you have like everyone's eyes and they're like, like, oh my God, like the, the, the like the, the screaming painting, yeah. that's what everyone looks like on YouTube because the algorithm allows people with their eyes wide open and their mouths typically open to get more views, more clicks. So we're probably going to do that for our YouTube video just because it, it works. But when you end your portfolio, someone's at your portfolio, you don't have to do that stuff to get them to read no. it. You can do other things too. So again, not cheesy. Don't, don't, don't go over the top. Be, be, make sure, make sure you're realistic, but like it can be a little bit imaginative. Like, you know, some of the pieces in, in my portfolio and I'm sure yours, they have these headlines that are grandiose headlines, right? Like they're very grand kind of like, almost like a, like, a, like a, the odyssey in a sense, like at least mine are the way that I kind of frame mine because mine did take many years to actually complete in some cases. And those took a lot of my, you know, time, passion, and they, they actually instilled a lot of yeah. stress in my life. So to me, it was a mountain that I conquered. And I have to convey that in a title for somebody to actually quickly read. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's... Hey, just wanted to take a break to let you know about something Pascal and I are working on. We're hosting a free live cohort course on how to design a winning portfolio for creatives and user-centric practitioners. That could be you, maybe you, someone you know. Sign up on Maven by clicking the link in the description. And now, back to the pod. It's, it's a good perspective on a lot of this. And it's, it's almost like, what are, what are you going to teach us at the top? Mm -hmm. In a sense, like it's not a sales pitch, but it's almost like a sales pitch at, at, to some degree. It's like, what, what, what are you, you going to teach me so that I keep yeah. reading and it's going to tie back to that hook. I think we need to be able to, in the text and mm -hmm. the stats and numbers you're going to pull, it needs to tie back to that hook at the top. And I think yeah. that's what a lot of people miss is they create something at the top, you read, and then the outcomes at the end don't tie back to the question at the top mm -hmm. many times. And I think. That's, that's the end because the wow factor, once you get to the end, you're going to be, whoa, man. <laughs> right? Now I, I, I mean, the sort of things that I think 
you need to pay attention to. And it, it comes with practice, I would say. Like writing comes with practice. The more you do it, the more you get inspired by others, right? The more you see how they were able to use a hook and an outcome and connect everything, I think is super important. And I think it's, you need to be able to, to get to a level, but it comes with practice. It's like anything else. It's like when you learn motion design, you get better at it by doing it. And I think it's going to be the same with writing. And one thing I was like, I wanted to kind of parallel track when we talk about, you know, all, you know, don't judge a book by cover, like the portfolio aspect of it. The one thing I do miss from the print days and when a lot of this stuff was more on print, like portfolios is people got really creative with their portfolios, like the way it folded up and like the way it opened, like it was a one page and it opened up and it was like a storytelling aspect that like we're getting away from that because everything's in a pixel, it's on a screen. Everybody has the same thing to play with. So we're trying to do some different. I, I, I miss those days of having that unique flavor being applied to something that was printed that you could be really creative. You can have it on one page or a book or anything. I felt it, it, it had that opportunity to be creative. Maybe I'm nostalgic or whatnot, but it's just like that thing that I think we kind of miss or I miss at least. How would you get it back? In print? In the web, in mobile. And I think that's what we're trying to do with a lot of these case studies. But I find, I think it's a bit harder than print. And maybe it's just because I started off in print. So I think it's, it's a bit different. But I mean, that's the goal. And I think if we're able to have that essence brought back into something that's digital, I think that's where we can really, really create a difference. But I just wanted to kind of create that parallel because it's something that I remember that was really fascinating because even like books, old books all had like the same color, like they're all green or red, whatnot, but they just had the title. They didn't, they didn't have pictures on it. So people had, people were reading, really reading, I would say more back then. And when we started transitioning into like having imagery on books, that's when we won't judge a book by cover. I think it comes down to those things and then it creates these, now it creates these differentiators, I think. Great. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I don't have anything to add to that. So middle and end. What would you include in the middle? What would you include in the end of the story if we're trying to write a story? If I go to the end right away, I like to, it's like that loop. It's like it can, it ties back to, I like outcomes. To me, it's like, okay, what are the outcomes? What are the, like the outputs, outcomes? I want to see tangible something. I want it to be like an outcome. It could be a business metrics. It could be an ROI. It could be like better user experience, whatever. Like, I, but I want something. I also want it to tie back to the top because mm. it's almost you're recapping the story at the end that ties back to it. Because here's how we started. You know what I mean? It's like you're kind yeah, of creating I, that I, connection. I know what you mean. It, yeah, you have to get to the wrap up. You have to have a summary. You have to be exactly. able to kind of reinforce the ideas that were just applied, but like in a very succinct way, so that then again they leave with that takeaway of. Uh, they they take away that the thing that you were trying to convey the whole yeah. time is like in like the last sentence, right? Like last like three lines, or whatever. I think it's it it's like the same as what I said earlier. Like the Ocean's Eleven movie, they wrap up at the end and they explain everything backwards in a sense. It, it's I don't know. It's I, I always like I've that. never seen it. I've never seen never it, seen but it. I'm assuming I know what you're talking about. Like they get they go okay, so this is how we did it. Like kind of like a like a spy movie or something. But exactly, they, like they yeah. steal a bank and at the end they kind of 
you you don't see the things that are happening, but at the end they kind Spoiler. of go back. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can watch it. There's like six of them. I'm like not going to waste 11, 12, 13, 14. Anyways, <laughs> but I, I kind of see, I like how at the end, you're able to make those connections. You're able to understand. Like if you think of like a really awesome project, like anything that, you know, let's say that you've done in AI. At the end, you have to explain how everything, you explain to it. But I feel at the end is where everything glues together and you're able to kind of, oh, okay. Like I, he had all these outcomes. He, I understand why he did all these procedures yeah. and it kind of, it talks to the picture you're showing at the same time. I, I think that it, it, this format can somewhat, somewhat apply to landing pages, to product pages, yes. to a bunch of other things. I'm going to send you an example of one I think has a really great kind of quick landing page that kind of includes a lot of this stuff. I know it's not a portfolio, but yeah. I think that this in essence, could be a portfolio piece because somebody could say, hey, this is a project that I've worked on and like this is part of my portfolio. But before I go into that, I want to kind of get into, and you know, you can share your screen after I, I send this to you, but we just talked about the, the beginning, the, the, the end, but what about the middle? Like that's the stuff that like separates the two and links them together at the same time. So what would you include in that? I, I think have an idea. It, no, I know you do. <laughs> in what case I, you in case you didn't have anything to come up with i i like to see i feel to me it's like that's the part i get into your head because that's it tells me how you think how you work how you collaborate with others how you got to this how you potentially failed and tried something else i feel to and that's my take on it you're gonna have a different way of explaining things but i feel that's the part i really get into your head and how you work yeah, I think that the way you described the storytelling before, you started with the beginning and then you ended, then you went to the end and then you didn't even say the middle yet. So yeah. you just kind of going into the now, which is funny because I think that's also your process, right? You probably start with something that kind of int introduces it and then you show like where the journey ends and then you try to fill in the middle. Is that Are right? You I, I reverse engineer things. No, I'm saying like that's some, that's like, that's like maybe your process because like what I do with all my design work, and someone taught me this a long time ago, and I love it because this is this I think has the best outcome for projects. Yep. Is that I design the end first. Yeah, I always design the end outcome first, and the reason for that is because I need to know where I'm going. Because if I create the end, like the the end goalpost or like the end boundary of where I'm going, mm -hmm. I know how far I need to go, and then I understand what I need to do to get there. Because if I start from the beginning. I start with the onboarding flow for a design and then I go into like the first time they add something. No, no. If I do that, it's an endless waterfall of ideas and, yep. and, and, and just things that I can create, which is great. That's maybe sometimes you need to do that. But by doing that, you don't know the end and then you just keep going and going and going and then you go, wait a second, what was I doing this in the first place? So I like that you're, you're kind of going to the end quickly and kind of getting that done. And I think that maybe others can kind of go and, and use that too. Like create a great hook that kind of introduces this to you and to your audience so that you can get kind of jumpstart your, your creativity and then get to the, to the end. You can show your outcomes, wrap it up, and then figure out how to connect the two. And the way that I would connect the two is by showing the journey, right? Like that's, uh, that, that's exactly like, that's it. Like there's nothing else you really can do. You have to show the journey uh, of how you started 
to how you ended. And I always want to see failure. Mm-hmm. If you tell me every project was perfect, there's something you're hiding or you're forgetting to show. That's just the bottom line. Like I can see through a portfolio pretty quickly now. You and I have been through a lot yeah. of portfolios. We have our portfolios and you know they've been graded by other people and reviewed and critiqued. So I think I, I think you and I are well equipped to kind of see through portfolios that are, you know, plastic, that are fake, right? I want to see something carved out of clay, uh, and, you know, it's ceramic or like it's glass, it's been blown, you know, to, to, to in, intense heat and then it's cooled off and then has had this beautiful outcome. That's what I want to see. And I and, think like to, yeah. to your point, to be able to get to the end right away, I had to learn that through failed experiences and, and seeing like, okay, what if I design my end and I kind of figure it out? I learned that you probably had the opportunity to have someone explain that to you, which kind of sped up that learning moment for you. And you're able to apply to make it whatever process your own. I think it's, it's a great point of view that I find, at least in school or people coming up that are like out of school, they want to design everything at the beginning. Then they're like, it's been two weeks and they're still on the onboarding screen. I'm like, the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> move on. Right? But I think they learn it that way. And it's just, I, I think, like, it slows down so many things. Okay, let's do a design thinking exercise now on, like, the onboarding thing so we can get to the next one. Well, we're never going to get there because we're taking, we're doing the 12-step program at every single thing at the beginning. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all those are wrong. I'm just but you know, to your point, for you to be able to accelerate in speed and design at scale, you got to be able to see the big picture and how everything comes together earlier in the process. Yeah. So I guess to recap, number one, when you're writing a story, you have to have a great hook, introduction, beginning, right? Yeah. It has to be captivating. It has to be intriguing for you to want to continue reading. But it does, it, but it doesn't have to be cheesy, Okay. You can get mm-hmm. away with something really clever, but not cheesy. I think in future episodes, we should go into detail on the specifics of how to break these kinds of down. Like maybe one episode, we just focus on hooks or like yeah. just introductions, whatever. So then the second thing would be to have your journey explained as like the middle part of the story, right? You need to under, you need to show your ups and downs, your failures, your successes, and the artifacts that you created along the way, uh, yeah. whether it's written whether it's managerial, whether it's a visual thing, whether it's research and interviews, you have to explain that in a way that you only you from your perspective can explain, but also that represents the people you're solving the problem for or, or the, the business you're trying to solve for or whatever. And then number three would be your end, you know, mm-hmm. the wrap up, the summary, the takeaways. What did you learn from this experience or, or this thing that you did? What is something you want to share with everyone else that they can kind of use in their projects or that they, they can kind of find inspiration from and the outcomes, essentially? What is the outcomes and, and the impact, especially the impact? What is the impact that it had? Not just the outcomes. Like you can produce a bunch of stuff, but like if you produce something and like it didn't change anything and it got trashed, then it's nothing. It's, it's useless for the most part. I mean, utilitarian-wise for like a business, but... You know, it could be still very beautiful and wonderful and then inspirational for others, but that needs to be the impact. So you have to have some sort of impact that can be clearly defined. And usually those are measured by some sort of metric. I don't think every time you need a metric to measure it, but it definitely helps reinforce the credibility of the impact. So 
that's how you, you would kind of create a, a great story. Beginning, mm-hmm. middle, end. And I like the, I think, doing like the exercises that we put in the portfolio, how to create a hook. I think those are things that we can talk about next time and kind of help people out beforehand because I think it's such an important piece of it. And it, like, I just saw like the Slack thing that you sent and it's interesting, like that hook that how he wrote it and everything. And I think it's, it's important to have these, that skill in a certain way built. And I think there are tools to do it. Can we quickly go through that? That one, I know that it's an audio podcast, but the, for those listening, you know, we'll kind of go through it a little bit. But yep. I would love to kind of, if you want to share your screen, kind of go through it or want me to share my screen. doesn't matter to me. doesn't matter. I can. Right. Let me close everything so that it's not awful. And let's go into share screen. Let's share, I guess, this. I'll zoom in. All right. So this is, a landing page for a website called Joy of React. So learning React design, finding components, whatever. Actually, let me reload the page. So it's really beautiful. I think there's like these little details that create a wow factor. So if you click on these little bulbs, they actually turn off the lighting, which I think is really cute. Really beautiful 3D kind of illustration over here that kind of captures, and I remember this kind of atom mm-hmm. thing with like a face on it. It's all 3D. Love that. The Joy of React. I've never heard of happiness with reacts before or any words with it so like i'm really impressed by that but the title of this website is called joy of react the tagline is the interactive learning experience that teaches you how to build rich dynamic web apps with react js yeah i think that's simple it's not like crazy wow maybe it can be a little bit more emphasized of like what i'm going to take away but i think that's pretty good and i think if you look at this there's a format that i've seen in a lot of landing pages now I thought I'd been looking at a lot of them. Maybe we can do a course on landing pages. But it's so interesting, this framework that they all use. Like they have, they start out with something. That's something that Justin Welsh also talks about. But like have something a little bit kind of out there, a little, not maybe, maybe controversial, but the first kind of H1 title in this page is like, so let's be real. Learning React is hard. Like no crap, it's hard, but it's bold. And there's really great kind of styling some of the words just to emphasize them so like throughout this paragraph there's a word called or there's a phrase called tutorial hell and it's written like almost like molten lava blood or in a way and it, it's in line so like it, it's you read it as you're kind of just reading the paragraph and it fits so well and it's things are just like standing out a lot more and they're emphasized in a very correct balanced way and i would say like it's it's done intentionally yeah I'm not using this ugly font Mm-hmm. Just to put it in there. Like it's yeah. done. It, what I mean is like it, you've done it in a well-balanced way because oftentimes people try this approach or do it and I find they miss out. I think it's done intentionally and it's done well, right? Because that one is, is written in a totally different font than the other ones. And the other words that stand out for the other places is just like in sort of like a handwriting circle around it. So it's a well-balanced, it's in, in, intentional. And I think that like the copywriting that in this short perspective is really strong. Yeah. Yeah. I think visually, it's great. I think storytelling, copyright-wise, great. It gets, it says, here's the problem, right? And kind of leads you to like reinforcing that problem to thinking, oh, wow, this really is a problem. 
And why is it a problem? It's tutorial hell. Like we were stuck, people designing or trying to learn how to create websites with React and they're designing them. They always, like myself, are stuck in tutorial hell. So this this caught my eye and I was like, oh, okay. I'm also in that boat. You know, it's relatable. You know, you want to learn React, but you've struggled. Yeah, I have. I want to help. Like, all right. It's like, then he reinforces his credibility and, you know, and then he shows you kind of like the light. I think that's a really great format that this, this person has has done and it's, it's just overall very well done this website just from the visual copywriting and getting me to sign up which i have and i'm waiting for it to come out so i think in 2023 it'll be released yeah shout out to this beautiful glowing button that it's just every, again the details in this website are great so oh, i know like he's i think that from a react job. perspective i think he's going all out and it's like even that glowing button like going, bringing that glass button effect back, but he's done yeah. it in a modern way to it. And I think it's interesting. Yeah. And there's another one I wanted to show that I sent you earlier for a portfolio, actually. And yeah. I think that this was a really great portfolio. It's called www.dmcg.co. Yep. If you haven't seen that, definitely check it out. Let me share my screen again. Sorry for those who are listening, but this is awesome. Although this has giant black type on the white background, right? I was talking about before. I think it's interesting because on mobile, it actually works really well where, and they just kind of shrink this down a little bit. It kind of just has all the projects mm -hmm. horizontally instead of like a vertical format scrolling wise, which I think is very unusual. It kind of caught my eye. It's great on mobile. So you kind of swipe the project and kind of get to everything you need to in the first page. So the first thing is, you know, what is this about? And then here is my proof that I'm, I am a good designer or a good design agency. I'm not sure what this is. And then, yeah, so he's a creative director. And then you have the about right there on the page, right? Mm -hmm. you, I think you can go to a separate page to have more detailed, but like having this all in one page is awesome. And then you click one thing and they're big, beautiful images, great, big, beautiful text. There's not much kind of copy to read. It's just the outcome, which I think is maybe a little bit weak, but also being a creative director, I think that's fine because you're not here to sit down and explain every single decision that you've made on a project, especially because you're a creative director, you probably have other people making decisions too. But in this part, you know, although they don't have a bunch of words, they have a little bit of an explanation on each, which with great imagery in the beginning, which is already a wow factor, but you know, they kind of explain it in a very succinct way. And then they have the result. And I would love to see process work as well, you know, I, I love the outcome, but I would love to see more process work in this, to be honest, even though it's a crib director, but sometimes they, they find that to be kind of like, you know, like, oh, it's amateur, which I think is not. I think seeing the process work is the most exciting part to me, but like, uh, I'd love to see like, what was the ask for like that rebrand? What was the ask right. for it? What was the like, and at the end, what were the outcomes of it? I, I'm seeing the visual outcomes of it. What were this like? financial outcomes, statistical outcomes. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to be able like to say that. I'd rate this probably out of like a three out of five if I had to, just because it's missing some things. But I think that the work itself is very strong. Oh, 100%. So I think that this just needs more storytelling help. I think it's I think it's a good portfolio, but I would not be like, oh yeah, I want this person as like the creative director of my company because of the portfolio. I want to see them present this stuff to me now, right? So like yeah. maybe this is the, maybe the, the way that this works is that this is just to get you in the door because it's just a general kind of gist of like the quality. Yeah. And then this person probably has a presentation that they give 
that actually goes into the detail about the whole process. And maybe that's the approach that they're taking, which is also a fine approach. I wouldn't recommend it always for some people because not everyone can pull that off and be like, oh yeah, yeah I'm so good that I don't have to explain myself and my portfolio online. But but know, he's good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, think I mean, yeah, the, like, very the work talented. is good. The work, the work is very good. And that's no. why I think this person leans very heavily on. Again, I, I, I think I agree with you. We need to see more journey-wise, like more process stuff for like just our personal taste. Like I love seeing that, but also it would help other people that aren't even given the, the, the presentation to like investigate more of that. But this person has a body of work. So I get, I get why they don't have that, right? Like this person has so much work in here. It's like, all right, you're not going to write a case study for every single one of these things, mm-hmm. but you're definitely going to have a couple of them that are like very revealing. Right. What, so, I mean, there's so much more I can go on this, but it, you know, it just goes on and on and on. I think that if you really want to know more about how to design a great portfolio, you got to take our course. Yeah. I can't, that's the thing I can't wait to, to wrap up and do like the next cohort to see and, and get that feedback out of to see how much it's streamlined, better improved and speeds up like the process. I think the learning opportunities are going to be superior to like the, the, the other cores yeah and even like the writing skill exercises and mm-hmm. i think so i think all in all it's going to be a much more powerful course at the end i i agree i think it's going to be a wonderful experience not just for us but for all the kind of students that we have new and young new and young in the industry and also more experienced you know i know we're kind of shifting gears more towards the ones that are kind of earlier in the careers or switching careers into design or this industry of tech so I think that it'll definitely help those folks out a lot more. But it's also a great recap for those who are already experienced, but they just kind of need a refresh, right? Because I think that there's a lot of things that people overlook or like they didn't learn very well as a foundation when they were younger. And they mm-hmm. need that kind of support later on to kind of relearn that stuff. So, you know, we're here for that too. And I think that just to kind of end on this note, the one thing that you and I kind of focus on, I think the most is being very individualistic to each person. We want to make sure that this is something that is personable. And I would love to know your perspective on this because I think we talked about it a little bit in the first episode, but I was actually asked this by somebody else. I was talking to them. They go, how do you scale relationships? And this is something I talked to Devin O'Brien a lot about from IBM who kind of created the the first internship program for for design, the Maelstrom at IBM, wow. which was an amazing experience. And I, 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 I I feel bad for everyone who didn't get to experience it because it was that cool. But, you know, we had this long conversation about scaling relationships. Like as you, as we get more people involved in this, and I want to hear your opinion on this, how do you maintain a a high relationship, a high quality relationship with that person, even though there's a million of them, right? Because right now we have like 40, 50 people in the first cohort which is amazing. It's a great amount of people for a cohort, especially one that no one knows who we are and mm-hmm. no one has any evidence of that, that we're good or at, at all or what we do. But everyone took away that this was a very high quality course. They would recommend it. We got like an average 9.5 out of 10 rating, which is great from those who, record, who recorded the rating, rated the course. But, you know, what, uh, what, what ways will we scale relationships? Yeah, it's a very, it's a good question. And I'm always like, to me, and I've done this through yeah. all my career, it's always been, I'm as authentic as I can, as I can be. 
Dog's barking away, obviously. <laughs> the dog wants to be authentic too. No. Yeah. So <laughs> I think to me is authenticity is key. And it's always going above and beyond like the basic expectations. Those are always things that I've done. And I'm I'm really Canadian in my way of doing a lot of things, but it's like being really humble and really being there for the person. Not because I'm, I have something to take away at it. I really want that person to succeed. I really want to be there for them. Like I even at work, like I'll, I'll do one-on-one sessions and I'll go for hour sessions or whatever. But I'm like, I'm really in there because I want them to succeed. Mm-hmm. It's not about making money off of them. I yeah. truly humbly want them to succeed. So I'll do anything I can to see they're successful. I'll help them, you know, I'll send them links. I'll work additionally. So those like building relationships is one, it's about trust, right? That's, that's a key thing. It's about showing value, bringing value to the other person. I mean, it's, it's a two-way thing, mm-hmm. but it's, it's being humble and being authentic with them. Like, I, yeah. I mean, this is quick, quick. It's not about like building relationships at work necessarily because it goes far beyond that. But like off the top of my head, those are things that I usually like to approach things. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm just writing that down so that we can write stuff about this later because I want to expand on this more now too. Because I I have a lot of opinions about scaling relationships. I I I've thought about this for for weeks, not just for this podcast, but like before when I was talking with with Devin and others about this. But scaling relationships is really hard because there's like a law of physics that happens when you are trying to build relationships where. If you have one-on-one time with somebody, you can get really deep into a subject, really deep into a problem, and really deep into that person's soul. And then when you're trying to handle 10 people, you have less and less time to devote to that kind of building of the relationship per person. You can spend more time making sure that that's very meaningful. But then when you have 100 people that you have to maintain a relationship with, how do you do that? And I think eventually what... Some people have done, I'm not saying we have to do this, but I think we've done a really good job so far. I think that it's, we've struggled because this has been the first time we've actually had to do this for people we didn't know and people we you know weren't assigned to us, right? This is something that people reached out to us for help. And you know we had to figure out how to organize ourselves to build those relationships in a timely manner that was, you know, that we didn't miss the calendar invites, that we didn't do this and that. And, you know, we, we mess up sometimes too. Like, I'm not going to say that we did it perfectly because I think this is, this is great of a learning experience. But, you know, when you get to a certain point, you can't dedicate your time to every single person. But the time that you can spend to them, you can be very meaningful. And as we get better at this kind of rapport building and then actual helping of people, I think we'll get more intentional about how to do this. There was a guy, his name is Andrew Wilkinson. He is a, he's, they call him the Warren Buffett of the internet or whatever. That's what he's trying to become, right? So he's buying up a bunch of online businesses and then trying to, you know, install CEOs on all of them and then take a profit from that and grow those businesses. So like, I think he bought Dribble, I believe it's one of them. So like there's a number of industry, industries and things that they buy, he buys. I think he bought like a muffin shop or something once, I don't know. But that was like a, like a niche thing, right? So diversification of a portfolio. Yeah, diversification. If all else fails, muffins are still around. Apparently, they were very good muffins. They were like really clean and whatever. Anyways, he, uh, I reached out to him many years ago, right when I started my career. No, actually, 
a couple of years after I started my career, actually, it was when I first got, actually, no, I take it back. It was when I first got my job at IBM and I had a fallout with a co-founder of mine at one of the startups that I created and I reached out to him for advice on it. And he actually responded twice to my email. I have two emails from him. And, you know, I don't think I asked the right question. I don't think I even really used his time wisely. I wrote this big essay of an of a email that really was mm-hmm. not necessary. But it was so kind of him to spend time reaching out to me out of his busy schedule, not knowing how old I was, not knowing anything about me, yep. not even knowing like I was going to reach out to him. But I found his email and I just reached out to him like, hey, can I get some advice on this? And he gave me some advice and it was really, really awesome. And I think that meaningful connections can be made to very small gestures. And so I think that, like I said before, the, the moments that we have with people will become more meaningful because we won't be able to have that as much with every single person as we get mm-hmm. bigger and bigger with this kind of thing that we're building. So I think right now, and this is also, this also applies like to a, a lot of other things too. Like I went to a concert, a couple of things like right, right before COVID hit and it was one of my favorite bands and they weren't really that great in in person like i'm not gonna lie like they were you know how like you you go to listen to somebody you're like you're like oh my god they're so amazing and then you listen to them, you're like this sucks <laughs> well they, they didn't suck they were pretty good but they and i won't say their name because i don't want to do that to them i still like their music i just don't like them playing live because i don't know maybe just the vocals weren't right or like maybe the, the audio wasn't set up yep, right yep, i don't yep. know what it was but they stopped the show at one point they're like they're like hey it's sarah you know i don't know her name but like hey it's sarah she's in the audience like that's somebody who they knew growing up in, in, in Austin because like so many bands here, they start in Austin and they grow and they become bigger. And this is a, this is a really big band, by the way. Like, this is a very famous band. And like the whole front row was everyone that they personally knew. Like the whole like, like couple front rows, actually. So to take that back, like people who they've been that have been to their very first concerts and that their family's friends or whatever. And they all like were there. And you had a sense in the audience that like people were there as friends with them. And I'm friends with some other bands as well. And they come off the stage and they go, Mitch, how's it going? I'm like, you remember me? And they build that rapport and that connection. Even when I see them like once a year, they know exactly who I am and they know everything about me. Mm-hmm. And that's a really special thing. It's a really special thing to connect with your audience, your, your fans. But it's going you know, above and beyond. It the is. thing, like, that's what I'm like, that's, that, you're basically yeah. adding to like my short yeah. resume or stuff, but it's basically, <laughs> that's the, humans have a basic expectation, but when you go above and beyond, you create that emotional connection and that bond. So you're describing like perfectly in a better way than I did. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I don't think, I don't think a better way. I think it's just a different way. A, a storytelling. But it's yeah, like, yeah, it's, storytelling. It, I think it, it, I just think it resonates well. Like it, this, this. We're building great relationships, and I think that we should post the link in the in the, the show notes to Enrico's kind of response to the, mm-hmm. the course. Because for those who don't know, one of our students who we kind of helped and jumped on a call with after the course, we offered everyone free sessions after the course, unlimited free sessions to get them to the point that they need to get their portfolio ready. Because we have a 100% guarantee that we're going to get your portfolio good really good and help you get to as much as you put into it, of course, but we're going to help you get there if you put the work into it too. One of our students has amazing response. They asked us, what, what can we, what, what can I do for you guys? You know, you helped me so much. I'm so grateful. And we're like, well, can you write us a little like, thank you just to, to, so we can post on the website, like a little bit, like little quote that says how much we helped you. 
this person wrote a short story about us, essentially. This huge written thing on LinkedIn. You know, he sends it us via email. And it's an incredibly kind gesture that somebody took the time to write out our, like a, like a thank you, and then post it for everyone else to read from his account, which we didn't ask for. Mm-hmm. And it was, we're just so honored and grateful that even if that was like it, like we stopped this, I would be so satisfied that we helped somebody get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you, Enrico, for that. But we, you know, we want to keep going. We want to help more people. And we're going to build that relationship with more people as as we go along. I agree. And I keep going back and say, a lot of the people doing these types of things do it for all the good reasons. And I think we obviously are going to come at it with our own perspective and our own reasons, but always having that human at the center of everything we do and being there, like humbly being there for them. And I think that's the thing I truly want out of all of this. Yeah. 100%. 100%. That's that's what we're here for, right? So, yeah, I think that that would be a great note to end this episode on. More topics to come next. We can riff off of this one for a long time, but I think it's it was a great end to it. Absolutely, yeah. I got to run to do a bunch of stuff. (laughs) So why don't we end here and then we can pick up episode three next time. Fantastic. All right. Thanks for chatting. Cheers.